Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I would like to invite you to turn in them to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And if you've been here longer than I have, perhaps the last four weeks, you know that we have been going through a series of teachings, uh, basically on the great themes in Scripture, themes that were brought back into focus by the original Reformers. Uh, I think it was now five weeks ago that you began with the theme, God Creator, God Creates. And then on the second week, God Speaks out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, an extraordinary passage of Scripture where the God whose name is plural says, hear this, the Lord your God is, is one. And then on the third week, you talked about God renewing. And of course, last week, our pastor Arnold led us in God loves. And today, we're looking at the final week as we celebrate the Reformation by looking at the theme of God triumphs. So if you have your Bibles, I think it would benefit all of us if we open them to Colossians chapter 3. I know I typed up there verses 12 through 17, but I think we need more background. So I'm going to read beginning in verse 5, and I'll read through verse 17, beginning in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Hard for a tongue-tied guy to say that. Which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Lord, the God, the Father through Him. Let's pray together. Father God, open our ears and our hearts. Equip us, not just to hear, but to respond to your word. We ask you to do this for your name's sake, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me just say something about my conviction of the Reformation. A lot of people assume that I'm Reformed. I tend to not like 
categories. I think sometimes that diminishes the, the height and the depth and breadth of God's word. But I will say this, there is no point simply celebrating the Reformation. If all we are doing is remembering those who have been dead for almost 500 years, there's no great glory in that. Unless we remember the Reformation is this, I will every day reform my heart to God's purposes in me. Every day I will allow God's word to shape my heart. Every day I will remember that Christ is in everything and to be all to me. Every day I will remember that I need to turn away from myself and turn again to him. That is true reformation. It doesn't take just one celebration a year, but every single day, that's where God's pleasure is. This morning, we're looking at how God triumphs. And I want to start with the background of Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, because first of all, God triumphs when he empowers me to tear off all that is hostile to him. Do not think you're here because of your own righteousness. Please don't think that you somehow have qualified by being a better person. If you are here, it's because God gave you the gift of repentance. If you are here, it's because God empowers you to strip off those things that are hostile to him. And uh, I, I mean, I know you're a sharp bunch, right? So I... I I hate to just state the obvious, but this is not a letter to Buddhists. Right? This, this is not a letter to Muslims. This is a letter to those who have been called out of the world and into the family of faith. This is a letter to us, GBC. This reminder is to us that everything in our world and in our flesh is hostile to everything God wants to do in and through us. And we see these just very clearly listed in this short passage of Scripture. God triumphs when He tears these things off that are hostile to Him. And this is why it's important. It's important because it's easy to praise Jesus when things are going well for you. When your boss likes you at work. When he agrees with you that you've got all the quality that your mother says you have. You know, it, it's easy to praise Jesus when your children are low maintenance and don't make noise in church or at restaurants. Right? It's easy to praise Jesus when all things are going well, when you never think about your health or never have to think about your financial stability. Then it's easy to be a Christian. But when you get squeezed by life, suddenly the authorities and our allegiances are exposed. When life is hard, when we're getting wrecked by living on the wrong side of the fall, then suddenly all the things inside here that I cover up and come to church, then they leak out, right? Because the truth is, and you've seen it if you've been in church long enough, when pressure comes, we suddenly long for Egypt again. When challenges and difficulties arise, we suddenly run back to the things which formerly enslaved us. Not on purpose, it just happens. Now notice some of these things that the Lord empowers us to strip off. The first thing we see in verses 5 and 6, 
I have an allegiance to my flesh. That's what personal worship preferences are about, right? I don't like the songs because, you know, I just don't like them, Pastor. I don't know them. The syncopated rhythm, these young people, what? You know, what happened to the old songs that have true meaning, meaning I know what they mean. I speak in King James, right? Well, what happened to those songs? I have an allegiance to my flesh. And this is what verses 5 and 6 said. Let me remind you. But put to death, therefore, what is earthly to you. You know that word earthly is actually literally an illegal term in the first century. It just means upon. As in the full weight of the law was placed upon him. It is anything in my life to which I feel great inescapable obligation. If you get a summons in Singapore, you will feel great inescapable obligation to respond to that summons. That is the word that we have translated earthly. That's why as a pastor, I sometimes hear the excuse, guys. A pastor, I had no choice. She just threw herself at me. Or even this, dude. Yeah, Canadians sometimes call me dude. I guess that's familial pastor. Dude, if you were in my situation, you would have done just the same thing. Really? Yes, I would have. If I was under obligation to my flesh. It is inescapable. This is why we should not judge non-believers. They don't sin on purpose. They're under obligation. But you and I have been released from that obligation. And that's why the Apostle Paul invites us to tear it off. They're dirty. You've been in those clothes long enough. Take those earthly clothes off. In fact, this verse begins with one Greek word. It's the only time this word is used in all of Scripture. And you know, in Greek sentence structure, the first word in the sentence means this is the most important thing in this phrase. The word is nekrosate. It's that word we translated with three English words, put to death. And, and, and you know that word is not just, let that thing die. It's not just, you know, brush that thing off. That word means slaughter. It's proactive, violent, premeditated. It is slaughter. I don't know if you heard about this in Singapore. Uh, there is this man in Seattle. Yeah, flip that slide. <clears throat> oh, apparently Microsoft doesn't have the Greek. <laughs> Necros- Sorry, I should have checked that before. Um, I use Keynote, sorry. Um, hit it one more time. Uh, th- this, um, th- this was a house fire in Seattle, Washington, in the States. And I was fascinated by this story because this is a rented property. feel sorry for this landlord right now. Because this man was sitting comfortably in his living room chair watching Netflix. I don't know what. And, and, and suddenly, um, this spider came down and sat beside her. Yeah, I just hit something. Can you, yeah, sorry, that means advance the slides. We've got to learn my, my uh, Canadian English. <laughs> so, so, you know, spiders, you know, it's, people never go, oh, there's a spider. There you go, buddy. You know, spiders are made for stomping, Right? 
They're absolutely made for stomping. That's why, you know, we have this, this culture in Canada. Don't step on a spider. It'll rain for seven days. That's just our mothers trying to have our boys not be so, you know, violent. So, so he was so horrified by this spider, he jumped up, slapped it. Then he got a blowtorch and burnt his house down. Now, 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 now here's what I'm thinking. Why does not my flesh horrify me like that? Because I know what you Christians are like. The only sin that offends you actually is somebody else's sin, right? That's the only thing that bothers you. And the Apostle Paul knew that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why he didn't write those people. He wrote us people. And said, necrosate, slaughter that, tear it off. And then there's this, verses 7 and 8. Allegiance. I have allegiance to my flesh. I have allegiance to my traditions. Uh, In these two, verses 7 and 8, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Now, can I talk about my traditions? I'm not exactly sure why you felt like you should get a Canadian pastor. Maybe, you know, want some Canadian traditions in your church. You know, we have two uh, national sports in Canada. Both of them involved hitting each other with sticks. Um, so so I'm, I'm not sure how you want to do the AGM. But if, if you want some Canadian tradition, it involves sticks and hitting each other. You know, that's why we like that U.S. president walk softly, carry a big hockey stick, right? To start hitting. We're very polite, but in all of our sports, we get it out. And so here's the thing. All of us have allegiance to traditions that are not of God, Why do you think the Western nations believe we can bring peace in the world with our great big sticks? It's our tradition. Send our military. In Canada, we call them peacekeepers, but they still have guns. Fire sticks. Bring peace. You see, you don't want my tradition. That's not why you would bring a foreigner so that he brings his tradition. Strip off those allegiances. Those traditions are hostile to the traditions of the God who longs for his own glory. And and then there's this in verses 9 and 10. I have allegiance to to my culture. Now, uh, I'm I'm not going to try and hurt anybody with this. But verses 9 and 10 says this. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after their image of its creator. Now, I I was fascinated because I I basically, I'm not like Ollie, by the way. If you go to the church office, um, everybody has their offices, and Ollie has his offices and then outside cupboards for all of his books. I have one book, it's beautiful, it's called Google. And and I, I was opening up that book, and I was looking at a study this week. It was done in 2015 by a Polish professor. <laughs> Dr. Anna Kiałkowska, I don't even know how to say her name. She, she did this five-year study, anthropological research. Her research uh, was on the human inclination to lie and deceive. 
And you can go to it's like 170 pages. It even rates nations on the national inclination to be deceitful. And she did acknowledge that in her study, it's an anthropological study, even though she's a psychiatrist, they studied over 19,000 people. They found that in every culture, there was cultural condemnation for lying and deceit. But also in every culture, there is accepted lying and deceit. That means in every people group on the world, we're all a bunch of liars. It's in our culture. Now, I don't want to start, I haven't even made it through probation yet. I don't want to start by offending you, but Singaporeans, you, you people are liars. <laughs> I mean, I was down at the Ministry of Manpower, and you, you have to take your photo with your glasses off. And so she took my photo. I t- she said, you can smile if you think it'll help. So I kind of gave a half smile, and then I saw her look. And then she turns the screen to me, and she says, are you happy with that? She didn't mean, like, are you happy with that? She just meant, is that okay, right? And I looked at her, I said, oh, my goodness, are those bags under my eyes? You know what she said to me? No, pastor, those are wisdom circles. She literally did that. She crossed herself and, God forgive me for lying to this white man. (laughs) Those are wisdom circles, seriously? Now, now Pastor Arnold, he's not laughing because he's from Texas. (laughs) I lived in Texas for a year, and those Texas Southern Baptists are a bunch of liars. Uh, I mean, culturally appropriate, Christianized liars. You, you understand she did this study even incorporating Christian traditions and Islamic traditions and still came out with this idea. The inclination to lie and deceive is universal, even among Christians. So, so Pastor Arnold, I noticed this tradition in Texas that, that, that people will say something absolutely horrible and then we'll tag it with a word of condescending blessing. Just so we think Jesus has just spoken. For instance, they'll say, oh, honey, that girl is so fat. Bless her heart. <laughs> it's always bless her heart. Oh, that man is vulgar. Bless his heart. <laughs> That's just not real, right? That's a deception. We have this culturally acceptable way of lying to each other. The problem is, we worship a God whose name is truth. You know, truth is not a collection of concepts. Jesus said, I am the truth. We're not trying to find our way to life. Jesus is life. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Lord said, choose life, for the Lord is your life. The people of God will learn how to speak the one who is truth. And then there is this last one. We have, all of us, an allegiance to heresy. I know this is going to be tough because we're people of the book. We're not heretics. But listen to this verse, verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in 
Paul. Now notice how Paul is systematically destroying every barrier in our human culture. We exist to divide. We have borders and raise armies. We want to build walls. Not me personally. We are people who naturally gravitate toward independence and division. And independence and division is the original heresy of humanity. Why? Remember when God speaks, He says, The Lord your God is one. There is no division. And this is what the Apostle Paul did. He specifically carved out ethnic divisions. There's no Greek or Jew religious traditions. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised cultural divisions. There's a barbarian culture, a Scythian, even socioeconomic divisions. There's no slave. There's no free. But here we are all in Christ and Christ is in all. No, I get that multicultural church is really popular right now. In God's word, there's no multicultural church. There's just one culture. Its name is Christ. Maybe multi-ethnic, but not multicultural. God tears that off. And when we are All different, but only one in Christ. That's not a religious organization. That's a miracle. God triumphs when we tear it off. Now quickly look at the next verses 12 through 15. God triumphs when he empowers us to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. Praise God. We're not just stripping off our clothes and walking around naked. That would be awkward. We are to clothe ourselves with he who is Christ. Now this section right here deserves its own message. But everything in this describes Jesus. Do you understand that even in the Christian culture, we don't really get if someone among you is offended, forgive them. You know, I know we don't get that because I've heard so many times, Pastor, if they just come to me and ask for forgiveness, of course I would forgive them. That's not Jesus. That's just normal. Normal people are that way. Jesus forgave without permission. There was no one shouting at the cross, Jesus, forgive me, when he cried out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If you're offended right now, the command of Christ, if he is covering you, if he has wrapped himself up in you, if he has saturated you, if his roots grow deep, you are not going to even expect an act of contrition. You're just going to forgive because you can't help yourself. Because he who is growing up in you is not yourself. It is him who is Christ. Do you get the fact that when Jesus reached my father, he was not hoping to teach my father new improved stick swinging. He wasn't trying to get him to be a better Canadian. He desired him to be a new creation. Fresh from the father's heart. 
completely transformed by he who is rising up. It is amazing that God would do this in us. Uh, I'm moving forward because I'm supposed to be done on time. Not that I'm worried about the probation thing. (laughs) Verse 16. God triumphed. He triumphs through his word. Now, this is why this matters. Can you guys show that next picture? Um, Any of you ride the MRT? I have pretty much decided um, that at no time in any 24-hour day is a Singaporean not filling their head up with something. Um, I don't know why your heads aren't exploding right now. I mean, nobody's talking. And I'm awkward. I talk to people, right? So it's always like, sorry, uh, what? (laughs) Because they're busy filling their heads and their hearts. You know there is a battle for the mind in this nation and in every nation. And, And that's why the Apostle Paul called this out in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. For our weapons, we're not crusaders with swords and shields. Our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but we have been given divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. Do you understand if, if we were going to be in the business of taking every thought captive, the first thought that needs to be taken is the thought that's rebelling inside my head. We have been called to be deep into His Word. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Literally in the Greek, it doesn't make that much sense in English. It means make space in your life for the abundant wealth of God's word. Make space for that. Teaching admonishing. Admonishing is that sign that Sherry and I saw on this pedestrian overpass yesterday that said, low hanging, watch your head. Right? That's a warning. Look up or you will strike this pillar. And so teach and admonish one another. And notice how this is modified with the word wisdom. And I'm speaking to you reformed guys. I, I, I taught at a reformed seminary. It's called the, the Southern Baptist Seminary. And, and what I notice is there are on that campus storehouses, great intellectual minds that are packed full of Bible information. Just like the demons. Do you you know that Bible information is not enough? This is modified with wisdom. Wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge. You're not a disciple if you know something. Disciples know and because they know they do something. Teach 
and admonish with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Don't get hung up on, what's a hymn? What's a psalm? What's a spiritual song? What's it saying? It's saying there is great diversity in the ways we can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Sherry has begged me, please use your headphones when you're in the office. I don't want those other godly people to know what kind of music you listen to. I see my music in this verse. There is great diversity. Some of you can sing the same note every time. Make that noise joyful unto the Lord. You don't have to qualify to sing alto or baritone. Sing monotone. (laughs) But make it joyful. You know, make it joyful. You see, Christ is most obvious in us when everything we say and do comes straight from his heart, saturates ours, and then leaks out every time we're together. I wish I could say all my churches were like this. Oh, every church is so amazing. But that's not what I hear all the time. I hear what they read in the newspaper. I hear the latest movie they saw. I hear what book they're reading. But you see, when you're truly saturated like a sponge, you don't need a seminary to leak water. You don't need a special seminar to teach you how to leak out water if you're soaked in it. And the more you get squeezed, the more it flows. I pray this building project will squeeze us crazy. And I pray that we will fill ourselves. You see, this is what Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when he says, this is what the Lord is saying. And these words that I command you today. They shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign. Put them in front of your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. Here's what I'm longing for. I'm longing for the day That we as God's people are so saturated. We've made so much space for His Word. we got nothing else left. I told you because you're sitting right in front of me. I got a little snapshot of this last night. I kept trying to take a picture but, but kept missing the moment. When Toshi was singing with another brother. If this is the body. (laughs) Where are the arms not reaching? You know, I was thinking now, if someone came up to Toshi at that moment and said, hey, Toshi, what do you think of the American elections? He would have said, I don't care. Right? Because at that moment, he was loving the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his might. And after that, you got nothing. Right? You got nothing. That's the kind of saturation God is talking about. Are are we going to be the people who who know stuff about everything? Or are we going to be the people who say, I know nothing. And that's, that's except what God says.
And one day, you know, it's possible that someone may come to me and say, you know, I'm having problems in my relationship. You know what? I'm not a relationship expert, but I know the one who is. If you and your spouse determine that your marriage exists for his glory and not your satisfaction, I bet you that will change everything. I'm not an expert in science. Some of you are. But I would rather know a doctor who knows the one who created science. Are we going to be the people who will say, I will be so absolutely saturated. Here's the last thing. God triumphs through our sanctioned representation. We are not qualified to be set apart unless we are determined to be absolutely saturated by the word of our king. And whatever you say, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are sanctified and commissioned to be ambassadors to this world. To this world. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who comes from one kingdom. He plants his life in another kingdom. He learns the language of his host kingdom in order to communicate the will of his king. In order to communicate the purposes of her king. Now, now, let's say this might happen someday. Let's say Prime Minister Lee's office calls the Canadian High Commission, wants to speak to the ambassador, and, and says to him, Ambassador, whoever you are, I don't know who he is, um, um, Singapore's Prime Minister would like to know Canada's position on global warming. Now, if that ambassador was to say, well, I don't know what Canada's position is, but here's what I think. I guarantee Prime Minister Lee is going to pick up the phone, call Ottawa, and say, Hey, Justin, that guy you have living here, he's hopeless. You need to recall that guy. He has no idea what you think. You want to know why so many people think about Christians and can't think of anything good after that? It's because when a Christian says, I'm voting for Hillary or Donald, they get recalled. When a Christian says, here's what I think, they get recalled. God's love is unconditional, but his blessing and power is conditional upon the premise that we will saturate ourselves in his word and represent his word to the nations who need to know his are the words of life. So here's the one takeaway. If for any reason today we were to be squeezed what would be leaking out of us? If we walked out of this building, I'm guessing people will know we've been in church because we're dressed like it. And they asked us, tell me something. 
that will change my life. What would you say? Please don't say it. Come to church. Coming to church might wreck your life. But Jesus will change the life. Please don't say, come and listen to our pastor. He's a funny guy. Ask Sherry, 37 years later, not so funny. But Jesus' words are life. And life never gets wearisome. I want to ask you to bow with me for just a moment. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I don't want you to be distracted. You might hear some noise as our choir is getting in place. But uh, let, me, let me just ask you this. I, I wonder if you think that there are accidents in this world or if perhaps God has surrounded you with exactly the people he is hoping will get wet because you are leaking. Now, I wonder if there's anyone in your life. It's not that he needs your opinions. You need to hear what you think. But is there anyone in your life who needs to hear from the one who is truth? Just one name. And I wonder if you would, if God has brought one name to your mind, would you dare pray, God, if you give me opportunity this week, I will represent your word. I will speak your truth. Not my opinions, but I would just stand there and leak beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Father God, I invite you to hear and respond to the prayers of your people. Give them opportunity, even even now in their fears, even now because some are feeling somehow inadequate, remind them that though we are inadequate, your word is powerful. I pray that you would give us, each of us, opportunity just to say one word that is true. Just what we know to be true about you. And in all your grace, and in all your mercy, and in your power, we expect that that word will not return void, and that you will be triumphant. We pray this in your mighty, glorious name. Amen.